It's time for Legally Speaking. Joining us as always, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Good morning, Michael Mulligan. Good morning. Always great to be here. It's been a fascinating week with uh, lots of folks expressing their best understanding of how the law works, but it always, I find it, always a benefit to touch base with you and hear about how the courts work and the latest developments in legal affairs. Yeah, there's uh, never a shortage of things going on, it would seem. <laughs> never, never a shortage of material. No, what's on our agenda today? Uh, well, actually, two of the first things I wanted to talk about happen to be uh, adjacent uh, sections of the uh, criminal code. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about, you discussed uh, earlier today uh, in the context of uh, Councillor Isset, uh, the video of him up on the uh, logging road, yes, uh, involved uh, references made by the, uh, or the interaction involved uh, him apparently uh, trying to persuade a, a tow truck driver not to tow a vehicle away and, uh, and so forth. Um, and uh, that uh, caused me to reread the uh, reasons for judgment of the judge who granted the original uh, injunction in that case. Um, and in granting the injunction, uh, the judge talked about uh, the fact that uh, some of the activity uh, that was apparently going on uh, as part of the protest there, uh, in the view of the judge, uh, was uh, clearly uh, uh, in contravention of uh, the first section of the criminal code that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the judge mentioned in his reasons uh, section 423 of the uh, criminal code. The heading of that section is intimidation, uh, and it's a, a section which uh, is designed to uh, prohibit various uh, activity uh, which might be uh, broadly viewed as uh, intimidation. Um, and in that regard, the section that the sections the ju- part of that section the judge was referring to uh, makes it a, uh, a criminal offense uh, for somebody to. Uh, engage in activity uh, which would uh, try to cause another person to abstain from doing something which they have a lawful right to do or to compel them to do something they have a lawful right to abstain from doing. Um, And uh, in particular, and the judge summarized it in his reasons, but uh, sub F of section 423.1 provides that it is an offense if you beset or watch the place where another person resides, works, carries on business, or happens to be, or G, you block or obstruct a highway. Uh, And so the point the judge was making in uh, this portion of uh, his reasons for judgment was that uh, some of the activity, which is apparently going on uh, as part of the protest, uh, would uh, appear to uh, contravene this section of the uh, criminal code. Uh, You're not permitted uh, to block a uh, highway, uh, for example, uh, in order to prevent somebody from uh, doing something like uh, going to work or <laughs> proceeding on their way. Yes. Um, if you do that, you actually contravene Section 423 of the Criminal Code. Uh, and in his reasons for judgment, the judge was pointing out that uh, not only is that a, a criminal offense to do that, but um, you can uh, wind up with a, an injunction uh, if uh, criminal activity is interfering with um the lawful rights of a a private individual, right? And so even absent any form of an injunction at all, um, if uh, somebody decides that they are going to go and block or obstruct a highway, 
uh, for the purpose of preventing some, somebody from doing something which they are lawfully permitted to do, you're committing a crime. Um, and uh, you're also committing a criminal offense if you're besetting or watching where somebody is working or residing with the intent of uh, preventing them from doing something they're lawfully permitted to, to do. What does beset mean? Because uh, I stumbled on that earlier. I didn't know what beset yeah, means legally. I, th- I think the uh, the connotation would be sort of a malevolent watching, <laughs> right? Okay. Okay. And so you could imagine, uh, for example, uh, if somebody said, look, I'm going to just sit outside your place of employment uh, 24 hours a day and uh, stare at you in a menacing fashion, mm, right? Yeah. Y- you might get there if you were doing that for the purpose of preventing the person from doing something they were lawfully permitted to do. Okay. Um, uh, and so uh, the judge pointed out that, look, even though this is a, uh, already, even without an injunction, uh, could amount to, in the judge's view, uh, apparently was, uh, co- would constitute a, uh, a criminal offense, uh, a judge is permitted to also grant an, an injunction uh, against uh, the activity. Uh, and so um, that's the context in which you should be uh, viewing what went on that day. Um, I must say, my other impression watching that and watching the unfolding of the continued uh, protest efforts uh, there, mm-hmm. um, particularly with respect to the councillor Isit or Isit, mm-hmm. um, is that he is somebody who, by virtue of his uh, education and training, he's somebody who's got a, a law degree. He's clearly a, a, a bright fellow, mm-hmm. right, with uh, lots of uh, uh, education. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, from my perspective at least, profoundly disappointing uh, that somebody with that uh, sort of uh, background um, isn't explaining uh, some of the bigger principles which are at stake uh, when people are engaged in uh, willful uh, breaching of court orders. Um, it seems to me that somebody in that uh, position um, should be uh, rather than encouraging uh, that behavior or uh, assisting it in some way, um, should be using his position to I- explain why it is uh, that it is so important uh, all of us uh, respect court orders, uh, the, the, the importance of the, the rule of law, uh, and how that is so profoundly undermined uh, when people uh, choose to uh, willfully uh, breach orders I- simply in order to get attention. Hmm. Um, and the judge in his reasons for granting the injunction uh, on multiple occasions uh, points out the legitimacy of uh, the protest activity. And he speaks about the, uh, you know, the significance of global warming and yes. uh, why there could be a public interest in uh, preserving old growth forests and uh, the judge is uh, clear to point out that's a matter of important public policy. Uh, but the judge also points out uh, that uh, in granting a, an injunction to uh, stop engaging in what could also be criminal activity, um, that is not a, a comment on the wisdom of the public policy decision. Mm-hmm. The, the judge is not commenting uh, on whether um, the logging of uh, old-growth forests uh, is a uh, a good policy decision or not. And what's at stake when people uh, engage in um, uh, activity like openly breaching court orders to get attention for their cause? Mm. Because, of course, that's all that can be affected there. Mm-hmm. The, the judge doesn't have authority at the end of the day to decide whether there should be... Um, 
logging of a forest. That's for the government to decide, not for a judge to decide. Yes. Uh, and so there is no hope uh, that uh, that kind of uh, activity, uh, that is to say breaching a court order, is going to cause uh, a, a judge at some point to say, oh, well, uh, you know, you've made an excellent point here about the forests, uh, I guess, uh, uh, carry on. Uh, that simply won't happen. And so not only does that activity uh, profoundly uh, undermine respect for the rule of law, uh, but it has uh, no prospect of having some legal effect uh, at all. And so genuinely the protesting that's going on there is pointed in the wrong direction. Uh, and I think some uh, perhaps increased creativity ought to be used to uh, point the legitimate protest activity at the individuals who are charged with making the public policy decision about should we should there be logging there, right? Mm, That's a legitimate yes. issue. Yeah. Uh, but that decision is not uh, a decision that uh, the Supreme Court uh, judge uh, makes. That is a decision that the uh, provincial government makes. That's why we elect people to make those decisions. That's not for a judge to decide. Uh, and so uh, it strikes me that uh, somebody with... Um, that sort of background, Mr. Isit has, uh, he should be uh, using that to explain those uh, principles uh, to people, why the rule of law is so important, uh, and why that uh, intentional breaching of court orders is not a, an appropriate way to get attention even for uh, an important issue. Um, and uh, I must say, it is disappointing to me when uh, somebody who uh, would have the education and uh, training to um, explain that and where the decisions are made and how they are made and how change might be affected, uh, that uh, he isn't uh, using his uh, skills and position in that way, uh, but instead uh, apparently acting in uh, in supportive activity, which uh, uh, is uh, prohibited by a, a court order uh, and uh, may also be in the view of the judge in contravention of a section of the uh, criminal code. I, I just think we should uh, expect uh, uh, more than that uh, from somebody who's bright and well-educated and has a law degree. Indeed. Are you familiar with the role of a legal assistant? I'm a familiar with the term paralegal that is often described as a legal assistant, but I've, I don't know the distinction. Do you? Yeah, there, there's been over the years some effort by the Law Society to uh, regulate uh, uh, legal professionals who are not uh, lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there is now a process to uh, prove somebody who's a paralegal who'd be permitted to engage in certain uh, uh, legal work under the supervision of a, a lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a legal assistant would also be somebody who would be uh, somebody with legal experience who would uh, uh, do legal work uh, under the supervision of uh, a lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, and so let's say, for example, uh, uh, if somebody was... Uh, uh, buying or selling a piece of property, for example, and mm -hmm. you went to a lawyer to help deal with the conveyance, uh, there could be, for example, a, a legal assistant who would have experience dealing with the uh, forms of paperwork and everything that was required to do the transaction and who would ordinarily prepare those things to then be reviewed by the lawyer and explained to the client. Um, and so <clears throat> it is a legitimate uh, position mm. um, and, and one which uh, I think... Uh, that, I guess that's the way to explain it. There'd be somebody who has legal experience who would be operating under the supervision of a lawyer um, uh, to perform uh, uh, 
tasks that they would have experience to do. The, the lawyer is ultimately responsible for what a, a legal assistant or a paralegal would be doing. Mm. Uh, but they are both roles which would sort of make the uh, justice system more efficient and affordable, right? If you, if you had to have the uh, lawyer doing uh, all of the paperwork to convey your uh, home, uh-huh. uh, that's going to be a much more uh, expensive proposition than if you had somebody who has specialized training to do that work uh, operating with the assistance or supervision of a lawyer. It would be sort of like in the medical context, uh, a nurse, right, who yes. would be uh, uh, doing all sorts of work uh, uh, along with a doctor to care for a patient. Is there an obligation that a legal assistant uh, disclose who is supervising them when they act in that uh, capacity? I'm not aware of any okay. law society rule that would require that, but okay. a legal assistant would not be permitted to operate free form. Like you couldn't have somebody right. uh, hang out their shingle saying, I'm Joe Bloggs' legal assistant. <laughs> um, it would need to be, you'd need to operate uh, under the supervision of a lawyer who would ultimately be responsible for what the legal assistant uh, would be doing. Thank you very much, Michael Mulligan. And I just want to say thank you for all the good work that you have done on these airwaves and elsewhere in elevating public awareness and understanding of the justice system. I, as an ordinary person, a layperson, I have things that I believe that I think were true that have over the years I have learned were inaccurate thanks to the legal, uh, thanks to the education that you give us in terms of how the system actually works. So I want to thank you because you are one of the sources upon which I rely to better understand these matters. And I'm sure there are many members of our audience who would say that. The same. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. I must say, I enjoy doing this uh, every week, right? It's one of the things I, I really look forward to, to doing. Um, and, and I think it is, uh, you know, certainly a worthy endeavor to try to explain what uh, some of us are doing every day up in court and uh, in our offices so that, uh, right, there just can be a good public understanding of uh, what's going on. The system is supposed to be uh, transparent and understandable. And uh, in my view, at least, uh, it can only help having some explanation. Uh, for decisions that are made rather than having them appear to be in a vacuum or just getting a, a headline of something that might not appear reasonable without an explanation for uh, how a decision was arrived at. So I, I genuinely enjoy the, the opportunity to do it every week. Absolutely. Me too. Let's take our first break. We'll be back in just a moment. The next case that we are going to discuss, a very interesting one to do with what you are and are not permitted to do in terms of a judge presiding over a case involving you. This next one, you got to hear this to believe it. Stick around. We return to Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070 with Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. At the beginning of our uh, segment, Michael, you mentioned two adjacent sections of the criminal code that would inform our topics today. Yes, indeed. So the, the first one we talked about was Section 423 of the criminal code, and right next to that is the ever-popular 423.1. The, uh, the 423.1 section of the criminal code is entitled imita- sorry, Intimidation of a Justice System Participant uh, or a Journalist. Huh. Uh, and it is, it is a section that uh, makes it a specific offense uh, to engage in conduct with the intent to uh, provoke a state of fear in, and then various people are listed, including members of the public uh, involved with the administration of uh, criminal justice. So that might include... Uh, court uh, registry staff or potentially jurors. Um, it lists uh, any justice system participant with the uh, to impede them in the performance of their duties. So that might include uh, a judge, uh, for example, or prosecutor, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, journalists are also included. Um, it is a specific offense uh, to uh, engage in the prohibited activity with respect to a journalist in order to impede him or her. 
in the transmission of public information in relation to a criminal organization. And I should say, that's far from an abstract uh, concern. Um, In the news literally today uh, was a uh, news of a uh, journalist, uh, a Dutch journalist, who was shot in the head in uh, Amsterdam and killed. Uh, and he was a, a journalist who specialized in reporting on organized crime. Yes. Um, and so it's far from a, a fanciful notion that we need to offer some special protection to uh, journalists who are engaged in that activity. And so that section has been uh, discussed in the context of a decision made by um, the uh, the organizations called the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Hmm. Uh, pretty well, pretty well got every word you might like in that title. So mm-hmm. you not like justice or a constitutional freedom. Indeed, uh, that, that that organization, as it happens, is a um, kind of a right wing uh, organization that will launch uh, court challenges, uh, often based on constitutional arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, for example, on their uh, webpage, they've got articles about things like uh, the government's war on worship or the issue of, manda- the issue of mandatory vaccines. Hmm. Uh, and in Manitoba, they are currently engaged in um, uh, litigation uh, with respect to uh, COVID restrictions in that province as they relate to uh, churches. Uh, and so uh, they're arguing that uh, restrictions on um, uh, gatherings in churches to prevent uh, COVID uh, were uh, contrary to uh, constitutional protections. So that is the that's the litigation that they are currently involved in. Uh, they're making have made similar arguments in BC and uh, Alberta uh, and elsewhere. Um, and so, in the context of that litigation, uh, the case was being uh, heard by uh, the uh, Chief Justice uh, of the. Uh, Court of uh, Queen's Bench uh, there, Mm -hmm. Uh, and the decision was made uh, to hire private detectives uh, to follow uh, the uh, Chief Justice uh, around, including to his private cabin and the courthouse and at home. Uh, Apparently uh, an astute fellow, (laughs) the uh, Chief Justice uh, noticed that he was being followed, uh, uh, leaving the courthouse, and that's what caused... uh, uh, this scheme to uh, unwind and uh, uh, come to public attention. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so uh, I, I must say, you would think that uh, even without uh, having specifically turned your mind to Section 423.1, uh, you might uh, think uh, as a, a lawyer, boy, this is not a good way to uh, <laughs> approach the <laughs> oh, no. uh, approach your case. Poor planning. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, nonetheless, that is what happened. Uh, the fellow who was the, um, what was his title? Um, the president of the uh, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom, um, a uh, Mr. Carpe, uh, admitted uh, that uh, he had done this, um, and uh, he's uh, put himself on indefinite leave. Mm. Uh, the board of the organization is denying that they were uh, aware of what uh, um what the president was doing, uh, but uh, boy, is that troubling. Um, for his part, interestingly, the uh, chief justice has said that uh, he's going to continue to hear the case and won't take any consideration of the um, uh, the tracking of him. It, it would appear that the uh, the justice center 
was engaged in the tracking of other uh, public uh, officials as well. Uh, they don't seem to be too repentant about uh, other tracking they were doing. Uh, there, I think the explanation for the traffic, the tracking, at least that the uh, Chief Justice has articulated, was a, a hope that they would catch somebody uh, not following uh, COVID rules, mm-hmm. um, and that that would be somehow useful in terms of putting uh, pressure uh, on somebody. Uh, obviously, not appropriate <laughs> with respect to um, uh, with respect to the judge hearing the case. Uh, and I suppose there could be a scope for uh, debate about whether it would be appropriate to have uh, private detectives uh, uh, besetting people's uh, homes and cabins and following them around. Hmm. Um, other kinds of officials, right? You can uh, well imagine uh, that not making a, a particularly a good impression if it uh, turns out that uh, the, uh, the the constitutional freedoms people are uh, you know, surveilling uh, premiers or other uh, public officials, uh, you can well imagine that not being uh, met with a, uh, a great deal of uh, warmth. Uh, and, you know, there, there would be uh, legitimate issues about whether that activity, depending how it was carried out, yes. uh, would be somehow an offense. But, uh, boy, you would think that you could figure that out without having to look it up in the criminal code. Yeah, I would, so, suspe- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would suspect that an appropriate amount of genuflection is always appreciated by members of the judiciary. I used to wonder what the opposite of that was. I no longer wonder. It's higher a private investigator to follow around a judge. Not the best way to comport oneself, I would suspect. No, you, you would sort of expect more. <laughs> uh, we've got about 90 seconds left in our segment today, Michael. What would we like to close with? Sure. I think probably uh, a useful thing to close with would be uh, telling people about a new service. The BC provincial government has put together a, a website to provide people information about uh, tickets they might receive. Um, the uh, the site is designed to give people information about uh, various kinds of tickets. You get municipal tickets or provincial ones or federal ones, and they all have slightly different uh, methods for disputing them or paying them and the times when you can do something and so on. Uh, and uh, I think that there really is a, a need for that uh, information for people because these things are handed out all the time. It would yes. affect many people. Uh, and it may not always be clear exactly what somebody could do and how you could contest it or how you might pay it or what some of the issues might be. And so I think it's just a worthwhile uh, public service to tell people about the site so they can have a look. Uh, the site, the link is tickets.gov.bc.ca. And, well, I should say that the site seems to, of course, it's a government site, so it's got a big button to, you know, pay the ticket. <laughs> and then uh, maybe I've got to make a couple of clicks to figure out all the dispute information. But with that being said, uh, it does seem to be a, a good a new resource with uh, that sort of information for people. So I do think it's worth uh, having a look at. Uh, if you've received a ticket and you want to sort out how can I dispute the thing or what would the process be for that or if I want to pay it, how can I do that? Um, I think that would be a good starting point uh, because I know we get calls from people uh, wondering about uh, those things and often it doesn't make economic sense to hire a lawyer to uh, provide uh, all the information you might need about a ticket that could be for a relatively modest amount of money. Yes. Uh, but still important people be able to access that information so that they can be treated fairly and know what their uh, legal options are. So 
there it is. It's new, tickets.gov.bc.ca. Have a look if you've uh, got a ticket and want to know what your options might be. Michael Mulligan, thank you as always for everything that uh, you do to help us better understand the legal system. It's greatly appreciated. Until next week. Always a pleasure. Have a great day. All right. Talk to you then. Bye now.